Sorry for the technical difficulties, but good morning. Happy belated Thanksgiving to all of you. You know, it's been a few days. Maybe you've put a dent in your leftovers. Hopefully you're getting over your turkey comas. And maybe some of you are in like full-on Christmas mode already and you've got the antlers and the reindeer nose on your car and everything, like you ran out and did that Friday morning. But you know, it's still Thanksgiving weekend, and so I've got a Thanksgiving message for you today before we jump full-on into Christmas here. And as believers, this holiday has just so much more meaning to us than just turkey and football, or even family, which is great. I love turkey, football, and family, but, um, or even being thankful, just being generally thankful. We know who we're thankful to. And so Thanksgiving has a, has a deeper meaning for us than it does to your average person. So I hope you got some, a chance to uh, just kind of reflect on that on Thanksgiving. Maybe you took some extra time Oh, can we get my slides up, please? Trying? Okay. Well, I can do it without the slides. Maybe you took some extra time with God to just thank him for all the blessings in your life. Or maybe you gathered around the table with your family and prayed together. Or maybe you did the old, you know, everybody go around and say something they're thankful for. And then maybe on the other hand, I think we're... We're almost there. Maybe on the other hand, you know, things went a little sideways on Thanksgiving. You had to work or, you know, your, your, your turkey burned or your turkey didn't thaw out in time or, or your family was all fighting with each other and everything was crazy and stressful. And so you didn't get a chance to do that on Thanksgiving. But the good news is, is that every day is a good day to be thankful. So it's not too late to thank God for everything that he's done for you. And so I got to thinking about thankfulness and what are the ways we say thank you? What are the ways we say thank you to each other? You know, when someone gives you a gift or does something nice for you, maybe you send a thank you card. Uh, I have to confess that I'm terrible at those. It's not because I'm not thankful. If you never got a thankful thank you card from me, it's it's not because I'm not thankful. It's because I I struggle to put the words together uh, as I, you know, give a public speaking thing. I struggle, <laughs> I struggle to put the words together in a thank you card. So sometimes I'll send a text while I'm enjoying that gift that someone gave me to let them know that I appreciate it uh, later. Uh, but thank you cards are not something I'm great at. But some people are great at them and, the, and you get the card and it's so sweet to, to hear from them and the things they say are just so nice. Sometimes you can say thank you with a handshake or a hug depending on your personality and the person you're thanking. Uh, sometimes, you know, someone helps you out and and helps you with a project, and then you can say, you know, next time you're doing something, I want to help you. You know, you return the favor. That's your way of saying thank you. Someone helps you move, you feed them, right? Oh, I think we're getting very close to slides there. That's just good because (laughs) some of these are good. So, um, okay, we got slides. So I'm going to catch us up here. Bear with me. We had them. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> okay. Anyway, I don't want to let that be a distraction. So when you're moving, you feed people, right? There we go. There's the fight. Maybe your family was fighting. Maybe your family was doing that. I hope not. But thank you cards. Handshake, hug. There we go. When you're moving, you feed people, preferably with pizza. Now, you know this is staged because those people look way too happy to have been involved in moving anything. But 
You know, the last time I moved, some of you who are in this room today helped me, and you did such an awesome job, and you were done so fast that it was like 11 o'clock, and all I got to give you was a muffin, you know? And I was like, I was going to get pizza, but they're all gone. So, you know, if you, if you get, if that's you, and you get a piece of pizza in your mail slot, that's why. <laughs> now, some people have had such an impact on our lives that we can struggle to find any way the right way to show them how much they mean to us and how much we appreciate them or to put into words how grateful we are. You know, I recommend trying anyway because we'll regret it later if we don't. But barring that, the best way I can think of is to be there for those people the way that they're there for you. So I thought about just wrapping it up here and telling you all to just spend the rest of our allotted time thanking each other. You know, that would be the easy way out. But it would be a huge failure on my part because, A, we haven't opened our Bibles yet, and B, if we do open our Bibles, we'll see that God has a lot to say about how we can thank each other and, even more importantly, how we can thank Him for everything that He's done for us and given to us. We can't even begin to look at all the verses in the Bible about thanksgiving and thankfulness. There's 35 times the Bible says the word thank, 72 times for thanks, and 22 times for thanksgiving, and that's not even including gratitude or gratefulness. Um, I've got a couple of picked out. We're not going to cover all of them, but I've got a couple picked out that we'll turn to. And the first place I'd like to turn is Luke chapter 17. So if you all could turn there, that's where we'll start. Luke chapter 17 includes the story of the ten lepers that Jesus healed. So starting in verse 11 of chapter 17... Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. So in this account, we see a very interesting example of how we can fail to even recognize our need to say thank you to God in the first place. Even when God has done something amazing for us, like these ten lepers who were healed, they were in a terrible state before they met Jesus. They were outcasts from society to say nothing of just the daily painful medical condition that they dealt with. They couldn't be around other people for fear of infecting them. That's why they called at a distance to Jesus and asked him to have pity on them. It was right for them to do this, to ask Jesus for help. It was right for them to call him master. And it was right for them to do what Jesus said and go to show themselves to the priest, which is kind of the opposite of what you would normally do. What you would normally do is you'd be healed then you'd go show yourself to the priest, and the priest would look at you and perform a cleansing ritual and declare you clean. But So they left in faith, knowing that Jesus could make them well. So, so far, so good. They asked Jesus for help. They obeyed him. They had faith. But they dropped the ball and didn't go back to say thank you, except for one of them. Calling Jesus master, asking him for help, they did well, and then they failed there. They experienced a miraculous healing and failed to show any gratitude to Jesus, who obviously was the one who healed them. You know, It was so immediate. As soon as they left, they're on their way. Jesus told them what to do. They did it, and they're healed. There could be no doubt about it. All ten of them healed. It's a miracle. 
but only one went back to thank him. I'm prone to fail this way as well. I don't know about you. We can neglect to even realize the things God has done for us sometimes, or we can experience them so often in, in such a daily manner, what God, God's done for us and is doing for us, is that we can take it for granted and forget to thank him each day for it. Sometimes God answers our prayers in a different way than how we expect. And so because the answer comes in a different way than how we expect, we don't recognize that that's the answer at all. And so we fail to thank him. That's no excuse, though. We need to kind of examine our lives and see all the things that we have to be thankful for and thank God for them. Now, this one man out of ten... He came back and he not only thanked Jesus, but he came back and praising him in a loud voice all the way. He wanted other people to know what Jesus had done for him. And so that is also something that we need to do. I need to be more bold about that, about telling other people what Jesus has done for me. Let's take this Samaritan as our example. And, And oddly enough, you know, Jesus was showing away in a way that the Jews were worse off than the Samaritans who they looked down on. It's an insult to God when we fail to thank him and praise him for the things he's done for us and to acknowledge that, as it says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Now, if we're his, we've been healed of a far greater disease than leprosy, even. We've been freed from sin and death. So we need to run to Jesus and thank him over and over again. And we need to give him praise for it and tell other people about it. Then we can thank him for all the ways that he cares for us and provides for us and leads us through this life. Jesus told the Samaritan man, your faith has made you well. David Guzik said about this, there was an extra healing for this 10th leper. When Jesus said this, he likely meant God's work within the man's heart. The other lepers had whole bodies but sick hearts. So in this man, we see what our first response should be to give thanks to God. We need to recognize what he's done for us and thank him. And in doing so, like the leper, we'll receive even greater blessings. Now, this happened in another Old Old Testament account of a leper as well. If you remember the story of Naaman, who went to Elisha, the prophet, and Elisha told him to dip himself in the river seven times. At first, he questioned it. It seemed silly to him, but then he did it. And he was healed, and he ran back to Elisha to thank him. He wanted to heap gifts upon him to thank him for what he had done for him. But Elisha wouldn't accept it. It was God who had healed him. So in the end, Naaman, like the one leper who ran back to thank Jesus, he left with an even bigger blessing than being healed. He went home knowing who the one true God was and committed to worshiping only him. Now, unless you start thinking that this is a lesson about lepers only, Uh, Our next example is not a leper. (laughs) I'll give you a hint at who I'm talking about. He, He was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about Zacchaeus. Let's look ahead just a couple chapters in Luke chapter 19. And I promise this example applies to tall people as well. Starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 19... Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not 
because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. It's such a sweet story, but it is funny to think of the, the reason that this short account, pun intended, became so well-known was because of a children's song. And the reason that the children's song kind of is very memorable is because he was so short. You know, you take out the fact that he was short, and there goes the first part of the song, he was a wee little man. And if he was short, he doesn't need to climb a sycamore tree. So there goes the second part of the song. And all you're left with is, Jesus was going to his house today. So his shortness has led to us all knowing who he is and all the children singing this song. And so this account has been made more memorable by the fact that he was short. It's just interesting to me. But let's not get distracted by his short stature or the cute song. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and the Israelites viewed tax collectors as traitors because they were collaborating with the occupying enemy, the Romans. They were collecting money from their fellow Jews for them. And more often than not, they were crooked as well. And Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector, so that means that he had gone even further in serving the enemy. And he was wealthy, and by his own admission, when we see that he's giving the money back that he had cheated anybody out of, by his own admission, he was crooked, very crooked. Because he, he had made a bunch of money by charging people extra on top of the taxes that the Romans were already levying against them. But all that money that he had accumulated and that power that he had as a chief tax collector still left him wanting something more in his life. And so when he heard that Jesus was coming, who by now everyone was talking about this Jesus person that was walking around and doing these miracles and everything, he wanted to see for himself. And so he did something that most wealthy adult men of his time would find very shameful. He climbed a tree. Back then, just like now, climbing trees is a thing for kids, for the most part. It's okay if you do tree work and cut branches and such, but mostly climbing trees is for kids. Not judgment if you do climb trees as an adult, but for Zacchaeus, it took a certain amount of, you know, not caring. Not caring if anybody, you know, made fun of him. I mean, he already didn't care that his fellow Jews hated him, you know, in his, in his position as a tax collector. So he had, didn't have a lot to lose. He climbed the tree, and he wanted to see Jesus. I don't think he ever dreamed that Jesus would look up and call him by name. Like all of us, he was a sinner. He was unworthy for Jesus to come stay at his house. But like all of us, Jesus showed him grace and came anyway. And as a result, we see something way more important than, Jesus, than Zacchaeus being short or good at climbing trees. We see the gratitude that he felt and demonstrated to Jesus for this grace. He gave half his possessions, which must have been a lot. He was wealthy. He gave that to the poor, and he promised to pay back everything he had cheated with interest. So he gave from what he had, and he repented from what he had done wrong. 
We never hear about Zacchaeus again in the Bible, but I think it's safe to say that his cheating days are over after this encounter with Jesus. We see expressions like this, Zacchaeus giving from what he had. We see this over and over again in the Bible. It's a biblical concept that when God gives to us, we give back. When Abraham won a battle and took a whole lot of plunder from some enemies, he gave a tenth of what he got to the priest Melchizedek long before God gave any commandments about tithing. That was just Abraham's natural response. When God gave instructions for the construction of the tabernacle when the Israelites were in the wilderness, Moses told the people what was needed, gold, silver, bronze, fine linen, ramskins, hides of sea cows, acacia wood, olive oil, valuable spices, gemstones. It's kind of a long shopping list, isn't it? Especially for people who are, you know, nomads traveling around the desert. But the people brought so many of these valuable things that Moses had to tell them to stop because they had too much, too much for everything they needed to build the tabernacle. They gave of what God gave them. Giving back to God has always been part of showing our thanks, whether it's in the laws of the Old Testament when God gave instructions to the the people about how they were to bring a tenth of their produce, their animals and things to to the temple, first the tabernacle, then the temple, uh, give, they would help to feed the priests and the Levites. It would help to uh, offer sacrifices, burnt offerings to God, and it would some of some of them they would actually eat themselves as a fellowship meal with God. Now I'm not here trying to guilt you into giving more. Uh, I'm not going to say give until it hurts. What you give is between you and God. It's just important to remember that everything we have comes from Him. And by giving back, it shows our gratitude, and it also shows that we trust him to keep providing for us. Everything that God has given us, we're just stewards over. It's his. So giving back helps us not to get so attached to this material possessions, to money that can be a snare for us. Listen to King David's prayer when the people, again, gave all the precious and valuable materials that were needed to construct the temple later on in 2 Chronicles 29, beginning in verse 12. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. David was thanking God for the chance to give back to him. And he truly understood that it all belonged to God and came from him in the first place. Now, we don't all have the same amount to give. In that case, in the case of the tabernacle, some people gave a whole bag of gemstones for the the priestly garments. Some people brought a couple gold earrings to melt down and use to make a lampstand or something. Jesus made it a point of saying that the widow who brought the two small coins gave more than anyone else because she gave all she had. Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17 tell us, No man should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So that's a good guideline. But giving is a way we show our thanks to God for providing for us. Don't do it because I said so, or do it because of guilt, but do it because you're grateful. And cheerfully, like Zacchaeus, 2 Corinthians 9-7 tells us God loves a cheerful giver. 
Now, getting back to that little friend of ours, Zacchaeus didn't just give, but he also repented from his past sins. And he made a decision to do right going forward. It doesn't show much gratitude to God for all that he's done for us if having been saved, we go right back to doing what we did before we were saved. Or if we change for a little while and then gradually slide back into what the world does around us. That's something that could happen to all of us. We all have to battle our own flesh still and the enemy and the world around us. But God is there to help us to follow him and to walk his way. Where once we were slaves to sin, we've been set free. And to act otherwise is to throw the gift God has given us back in his face. So that brings me up to my last idea of how we show our thanks to God for all that he's done for us. We were once slaves to sin, and now we're free. But free for what? We're free so that we can serve God. When Samuel was making his farewell address to the people of Israel, he told them in 1 Samuel 12, 24, Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Now that's good advice for all of us. Consider what great things he has done for you. When I think about that, so many things come to mind of all the great things God has done for me. But there's just one that's enough that the Lord has done for me. One thing that gives me reason to serve him for all the rest of my life. I was lost and Jesus died for me. That's enough. But, if, but for, me, for me, that's enough. But for God, it wasn't enough because he kept blessing me on top of that. And he's been with me every day since I turned to him. Thanking him is our first step, like the leper who came back. Telling other people about what God's done for us is a good step. Giving back and changing our direction, like Zacchaeus, is a good step. But ultimately, we should be giving ourselves to God to serve him in order to thank him for all he's done. If you use your Blue Letter Bible to do a word search for the word servant... Well, there's an awful lot of results. I didn't write down the number, but one thing I noticed is you get the beginning of so many New Testament letters, verse 1 of so many New Testament letters, because you see this is how the writers of the New Testament introduce themselves. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. They recognized that Jesus had saved them and they committed themselves to be his servants wholeheartedly, even to the point of dying for him. That doesn't just apply to apostles and leaders of the early church. It doesn't apply to, just apply to people in full-time ministry. It applies to all of us. Now, last week I heard many of you share your stories as we look back over the years of our, our church and celebrated how long we've been here at Calvary Green Meadow and how long we've had our church Calvary Chapel in Rhode Island, and I heard so many of you tell stories of how grateful you are for everything God has done here in this place for you and through this church family, and your stories reminded me of my own. They, they were almost identical to mine. I'm so thankful for this place. More than, more than this place, I'm so thankful for this church family that God put me in and for what a difference it's made in my life. We have a very special gift from God here. And what makes us, it so special isn't a building, but it's that we're all serving him here together, loving and serving each other while we're at it. I've watched so many of you faithfully serve God over the years, and I've watched 
brothers and sisters who have already gone home to heaven as well. And it's from all of you and them that I learned how to serve God in the first place myself. And you've all, many of you, have done so much for me and my family in my life that no amount of pizza or thank you cards could ever tell you how grateful I am. So I count you all as one of my greatest blessings that God's given me and continues to give me. So to thank him for that, what else can I do but serve him and serve here? And try to be faithful to what he's called me to do. We do have to be careful as we serve to keep that gratitude in focus. I can tell you that at times I start to forget the connection between what I do and why I do it and who I'm doing it for. We can start serving out of obligation or guilt or even get an attitude about it. We can become like Martha and ask Jesus, tell my sister to help me. I'm doing so much here. But when I really look at that attitude, I know that it's wrong and I know that I need to take the plank out of my own eye before I try to get the splinter out of somebody else's. We need to check our attitudes when we serve so that we can do it with the right hearts. We remember who we're serving and why we're serving him and what he's done for us and we'll be cheerful servants. Maybe you're listening now and you haven't been serving or you've never really found a way to serve and you don't know what God wants you to do. Maybe you tried serving one way and it didn't work out how you thought it would or something you were doing kind of fizzled out and came to an end and you're dealing with discouragement, just don't stay in that discouragement. And don't let anything that happened before stop you from trying again to serve God in another way. Ezekiel the prophet was discouraged when the people weren't listening to his messages. That's very common of all the prophets because people rarely listen to them. And he said in Ezekiel 21, 49, Ah, sovereign Lord, they are saying of me, isn't he just telling parables? So basically they were saying, you don't need to listen to that guy, he just tells a bunch of stories. God didn't respond to what Ezekiel said except to give him his next message to proclaim. The NIV Life Application Study Bible said of this, What has been discouraging you? Have you felt like giving up? Instead, continue doing what God has told you to do. He promises to reward the faithful. God's cure for discouragement may be another assignment. In serving others, we may find the renewal we need. So don't let a setback in serving keep you on the shelf. If you don't even know where to start serving, ask God in prayer to show you. Think about the gifts he's given you and how you could use them here or somewhere else, in a homeless shelter, in a nursing home, on the street. Don't say you don't have any gifts. God gives all of us gifts and abilities. Are you a good listener? Can you pray for someone else? Can you be an encouragement to others? On a more practical side, can you clean things? Can you organize things? Can you put things, pick things up and put them down? That's one of my specialties. You know. <laughs> like everything else that God's given to us, God wants us to use our gifts and abilities for His glory. And He'll put it on your heart something that He would have you do to serve Him, if you're seeking to. As you step out in faith, he will, first of all, help you to do it. And he may also open up more doors that you haven't even thought of to serve him more. It wasn't in my mind at all when I signed up to help out with Sunday school that I would end up here in front of all of you. Don't let that scare you off, though. That's not necessarily what's going to happen to you. <laughs> so, 
all roads don't lead to this location. Another way you might find out how you can serve is to look around for where there's a need. You know, I was thinking about it and it occurred to me that some churches that you go to, big ones, you have, from what I understand anyway, this is really one of the only churches I've ever been to. Some churches, it's kind of like going to a restaurant. You walk in, you look at a bulletin or another hand pamphlet, you see a menu of things you can do, and you pick one, and there's a bunch of chefs on staff to prepare it for you. And you don't have to do anything. Now, that's got its advantages. I'm not trying to beat up on large churches. They've got some things going for them, of course. There's lots of good large churches, a lot of good believers in them. But sometimes I think it can make it a little too easy to show up without getting to know people, without getting involved in serving yourself or in joining any ministry in the church. Our church is more like a potluck lunch than it is like a restaurant. And we all love potlucks, right? We all bring something, and we put it together, and we make something great. But sometimes, if there's something at the potluck that you'd like to see there that's not on the menu, you might just need to bring it yourself. And that's the way it is with our serving. Maybe there's a ministry that we're not doing right now, something, some kind of outreach that you've got it on your heart to do. And you might be the very person who needs to get that going. There might be lots of people like you who want to do it too, but they need someone to get it organized. <coughs> There's lots of opportunities already here to serve if you're looking to do so. So pray about it and ask around about it. Even if one door that you thought you might go through is closed, there'll be another one that opens up for you. God will see to it that there's a place for you to serve him. Just understand that his plan might be different than the one that you thought of, but his plan's the best one. So, I started by asking the question, how do we say thank you for all God has done for us? We saw that one thankful leper who ran back to Jesus, giving him thanks and praise and telling other people about what Jesus had done for him. We saw Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man, but he was a big example of how to be grateful, how to give back and how to turn around and do, do right and repent of the things he'd done wrong. And we see from Samuel, Paul, James, Peter, Jude, and so many others that for all that God has done for us, what, what can we do but serve him? Now I'll close with a Spurgeon quote because I haven't done one yet. And I'd love to get those in there. And I was doing my morning and evening yesterday and a perfect one came up, so I have to use it. The eagle which mounts to his rocky eyrie and afterward soars about the clouds and is no freer than the soul which Christ has delivered. If we are no more under the law but free from its curse, let our liberty be practically exhibited in our serving God with gratitude and delight. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have freed me from my chains. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's a good question for all of us. Lord, what do you want me to do? He's done so much for us. Let's do what he wants us to do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so very grateful. We can never say thank you enough for all you've done for us, that you've rescued us from sin and death. You've given us a future and a hope 
You've given us everything that we have. All the blessings in this life, every good and perfect gift comes from you. And we just confess, Lord, that we're not always as grateful as we should be, Lord, but we want to be more grateful and we ask you to help us to be more grateful. And we ask you to show us how we can serve you better, serve you more, how we can give back to you and how we can just express our thanks, Lord. Give us boldness to to step out in faith and do what you're calling us to do, to tell other people about you, to serve you faithfully, and to be the people you want us to be, Lord. If you've never turned to Jesus, Lord, I pray that those people listening now who have not, that they would turn to you now and they would have something to be thankful for eternally as well, Lord. And It's as simple as just reaching out to you and asking you for salvation. That's a free gift, and we thank you for that free gift. You've given us so much. You gave us your only son. Jesus, you died for us. Holy Spirit, you come to live inside of us. You help us, you guide us, direct us, provide for us, and you're going to take us home to heaven someday. And so we just thank you, Lord, and we want to give our lives to you to serve you all the rest of our days. Help us to do it, Lord, and help us to do it well. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.